Well, please pray with me as we approach God's Word. Father, we thank you for this Sunday once again, and um, I just ask you, God, to help us as we hear your Word being preached, that um, any distractions or any other things, Lord, would uh, be removed from our, our thoughts and our minds, and our focus would be on what you have to say to us today. We're so grateful, God, for your perfect word, which speaks to our hearts and causes us uh, to look to you and to look to Christ um, just in every area of life. So um, we're grateful. We're grateful, God, to have this time and to have this church body. We're thankful for everyone who's here and everyone who's on, online as well. And we ask your blessing, God, on your word as it is proclaimed, for your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we have much to cover once again today as we continue our Genesis 1-11 through series, which I've entitled God's Story of Beginnings. And we are in part five right now, and so I am thankful to have my cough mostly gone and my voice mostly back. But uh, maybe I'll ask Joe and Jacob back there if you could maybe turn the mic up just a little bit so uh, I can um, just get, be helped a little bit more there. Thank you. So we're eager to get back into uh, this subject of God's creation and um, his creation week. We left off last Sunday in the glorious day number six. So if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter one, we're going to jump right in. Genesis chapter one. And let me just give you a, a theme for today. Yeah, I feel like we've been missing that for the last uh, few Sundays. Uh, the theme is basically this. Knowing that we are God's, we are made as God's image bearers should fill us with a sense of wonder, purpose, and privilege before our Creator. Okay, knowing that we are made in God's image, we are God's image bearers, it should really fill us with this sense of wonder, purpose, and privilege before the one who made us, all right? And of course, there's all sorts of different ways to apply uh, those great, that great truth. So I'm going to read verses 26 to 31 in Genesis chapter 1. And if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor God's word. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. And this is part of the rest of day six of creation. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Please be seated. So for today, we have uh, two major points, two main points, two major points, followed by two minor points, and they're not minor because they're unimportant. Okay, it's like the major prophets, right, in the Old Testament and the minor prophets. We don't call them the minor prophets because they're not important, right? Why do we call them the minor prophets? Because they're shorter, okay? So I'm telling you that the two first points are going to be a bit longer, and the second two points are important, but they're going to be a lot shorter than the first two. And then we'll conclude with some some thoughts and, and um, some applications, okay? So that's kind of the lay of the land for today. And let me give you the first two main points, all right? If you want to write this down, you can. 
The first one is that humans are specially made to reflect and represent who God is. Humans are specially made to reflect and represent who God is. This is verses 26 to 28, and this is unlike the animals, okay? And we'll get into that. So that's the first main point. The second one is that God made humans male and female. God made humans male and female. And there may have been a a day um, a while back where that wouldn't have to be such a major point, but um, we're needing to bring some things out uh, today, okay? So not many genders, not many sexes. God made humans male and female. I'll save the two other points for um, when we get to them, all right? So humans are specially made to reflect and represent who God is. There's a little bit of overlap from last week's sermon. So if you haven't heard that, um, I, I just commend you to our Faith Bible Church website. You can listen to uh, that part of it. But brief review for, for today. It says there in verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Okay, those two phrases there are synonymous. They mean basically the same thing. Okay, it's not detailed differences between image and likeness. Uh, verse 27, it says, God created a man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, right? It just uses the word image. So according to God's likeness, made in his image means basically the same thing, two ways of saying the same thing. And as I mentioned last time, basically to be made in God's image means that we are made to be like God and to represent God. Okay? You can think of the, the R's, right? To resemble God and to represent God. And we emphasize the point, and we're needing to bring that out a little bit more today again, that we're not just evolved from lower animals. We're uniquely made by God as verse 26, that shift in the way that he describes the making of man. Okay, it so clearly communicates that. Okay, imago dei, right, being made in the image of God, it means emotion, intellect, will, It means spirituality. It means morality that we have. It means we have a conscience. We have consciousness. We have creativity. We have language. We have speech. We have choice. The three R's that I gave you last week, when you think of being made in the image of God, what does that mean? It means we're relational. It means we're rational. It means we're responsible. Okay? So that's the brief review from last week. But just notice in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That's that's a chiastic structure. It's a chiasm. It's the A-B-B-A form. Okay? Um, God created man, that's A. In his own image, that's B. In the image of God, that's B. And then he created him, once again, A. Right? Why? That's a literary device in the Hebrew language to, to show emphasis. It's highlighting something. What is it highlighting? Simply that God created man and that man is the image of God. Okay, so that repetition there is, is um, that repetitive form underlines those truths, which, again, run counter to evolutionary theory and all those principles, which says that man came from nothing and somehow slowly evolved from apes over eons of time. Genesis simply and clearly tells us God created man. This is the incomprehensible and incomparable power and wisdom and might of God, the great I am. And so there have been many scientific studies and discussions at this point in time, the year 2023. A lot of research has been done to consider if macroevolution is possible. And in regards, specifically even now, to mutations in the gene pool. Okay, I'm no expert, but I did a lot of reading. All right? So changes in the DNA structure. Because okay? the, the central mechanism of evolution is mutations. They need mutations over eons and billions and millions of years of time to happen. So there's been a great amount of work done in that field over the last 50 years or so, to see if the studies line up, the experiments, the science lines up with evolutionary theory. And especially intensive studies have been done 
with the fruit fly, using the fruit fly. And why is that? Well, the Canadian medical professor Magnus Verbrugge says that, quote, the fruit fly has been the subject of many experiments because its short lifespan allows scientists to observe many generations. They can do this in a very short amount of time. So scientists now have a clear idea what kind of mutations can occur, end quote. And so what did they find over all these studies, all this research, all this money poured in? What did they find repeatedly, repeatedly? Uh, Douglas Kelly explains, and let me just commend a book to you called Creation and Change. Um, It's by this man named Douglas Kelly, a Christian author, and uh, so helpful, just really, really good to um, just to use as a resource. Uh, It's the book that R.C. Sproul, who was once leaning towards more old earth um, perspective, uh, he said that book kind of swayed him over to lean towards young earth, thousands of years uh, of the age of the earth and universe rather than billions. So what did they find? Well, he explains here that mutations do not create new structures. They merely alter existing ones. Mutations have produced, for example regarding the fruit fly, crumpled, oversized, and undersized wings. They have produced even double sets of wings, but they have not created a new kind of wing. Nor have they transformed the fruit fly into a new kind of insect. That's macroevolution. It has not happened. Experiments have simply produced variations within the fruit fly species. He goes on, mutations are quite rare, which is fortunate because in virtually all instances, mutations are harmful. Hey, this is contrary to all those X-Men movies you guys have seen, right? A mutation is a random change in the molecular message, DNA, like a typing error. Typing errors rarely improve the quality of a written message. If too many occur, they may even destroy the information contained in it. Likewise, mutations rarely improve the quality of the DNA message, and too many mutations may even be lethal. And then he ends by saying, hard genetic facts militate against major evolution being possible through either recombination or mutations. The concept of the upward evolutionary scale of life is not grounded in empirical science. It is actually contrary to it. This means that the theory of evolution is really philosophy, not operational science, end quote. So relating this to man evolving from monkeys and all the genetic mutations required for that to happen, um, it's, it's literally like an ape to man scenario requires millions, even tens of millions of beneficial mutations to get to a point of fixation where it's actually helpful and advances um, something to, to, become, to become higher or better. And so um, basically it reduces it to an impossibly small chance uh, of that happening. Okay, so the, the other question that you know, we should be reminded of this morning is, are there even any missing links found in the fossil record? Okay, fossils showing... Uh, any transition from monkey to man. And you should know, because there's a lot of you know, bad and misleading information out there, all the supposed missing links have been found to be either mistakes or misleading conclusions or even lies. Okay, there's no transitional ape-man forms that have been found in the fossil record, not even one. All have proven to be hoaxes or mistakes or speculations or even imaginations of evolutionary theorists, right? Have you heard of Lucy? Lucy, it turned out to be that Lucy was a three-foot-tall chimpanzee, okay? But that's what they put in the textbooks. Whether it's Heidelberg man or Nebraska man or Piltdown man or Peking man or Neanderthal man, or New Guinea man, or Cro-Magnon man. Okay? None of them. None of them. There's, there's issues with, with every single one of those. And the bottom line is, evolutionists, none of us, have any transitional forms. No scientists or archaeologists have found any primitive ape-like men. No proof of the evolution of anything. 
and certainly no proof for the evolution of man. It's as fictional as the planet of the apes, right? So the reason that archaeologists and scientists are having a hard time proving the evolution of monkeys to man is because it didn't happen, and so it'll be impossible to prove. So I want to continue talking a little bit about the Imago Dei, image of God and the creation mandate, because that's what verse 26 says, along with 28 and 9. God says, second part of 26, Let them rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, part of man's responsibility, part of his role, and calling is given by the Creator God to rule over all the rest of his creation on earth, specifically animals, all these things that he made in the previous days. And this is part of God's blessing even on mankind. He gives us authority over the animals. Okay, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we're going to get to that at some point. But what does God have Adam do in day 6? Right? He names all the animals, which is a, a giving, a representation of Adam. Man has authority over the animals. So our cat, Latte, only thinks she's the ruler of our home. And we kind of let her. But verse 28, it says, Subdue it. Subdue. Subdue the earth. Take dominion. This is the concept of stewardship. We are called to caretaking of God's creation. Okay, not abuse, not cruelty, not greed. Making wise use of the resources that God gave us to use on this planet. To cultivate the land for productivity. To use it for the benefit of mankind. And we need to use wisdom and prudence, not foolishness and waste. All this is part of our responsibility and our relationship with God, even part of our worship to God, who's the creator of all these blessings. We are to reflect and represent who God is, right? That's part of the big picture, big idea of today. And it's through careful, caring, compassionate stewardship of all the things that he's given us on this beautiful nursery of a home called Earth, planet Earth, for us to live on. Proverbs 12.10 says, A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. And just thoughts to think about when you just think about nature and animals and everything. And the difference between a righteous man, a godly person who fears God and loves God, versus even the compassion of someone who doesn't know God. Even their compassion, they might be seen as compassion, but they're actually cruel. Verse 11 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. So just speaking of diligence and wisdom and um, prudence versus wastefulness and foolishness, right? So it just reminds me of me uh, back in my high school years before I was a believer. Uh, I was like one of the greenest people, you know, and I went to a liberal Quaker school, um, just, uh, which, you know, kind of pushed all those things. And uh, to this day, I have a habit of when I have a six-pack of soda or something with the plastic casing, I have this habit of ripping it apart so I don't kill any sea turtles or seals or something, right? I don't know. Maybe it's, it's, it's an okay habit to have, but um, uh, I was super diligent, and it was not out of knowledge of God or care for his creation. Okay? It, was, it was because I, I bought into the narrative of the whole environmental thing. So in any case... We need to care for God's world, this planet, the animals. Uh, we need to be wise in our use and purpose with all of that. And verse 28 continues by saying, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And so, as he did with the previous day's living creatures, right, the fish and the fowl and the animals, he blessed the first man and woman, and by extension, mankind in general, but look at, look at this subtle difference with verse 22. Verse 22 said, God blessed them, right? This is the, the fish and the fowl. Be fruitful and multiply. 
fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Look at the difference between that and then verse 28. It says, God blessed them, talking about the man and the woman, right? And God said to them, and he speaks to the man and woman directly. That's missing from the, the animals. Okay, again, this is a more personal relationship that's being shown to us here. This is direct communication, God saying to the man and woman. And so humankind, we are not merely part of the animal world who have evolved. Okay, rather, we are made in God's image, once again, like God, representing God. And we've been put in charge of the animal world and the whole earth as God's co-regents on this planet. And what a purpose that is. What a privilege it is. It should fill us with that sense of wonder, purpose, and privilege. And let me just give you a quick note on be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is a general command and decree to mankind. It's part of God's blessing to mankind. Broadly, humans are called by God to propagate the human race to procreate, to reproduce via holy marriage, and God willing to raise up more godly image bearers to bring glory to the Creator. Okay, so this is true before the fall and, be- and after the fall. Okay, Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2, it gives names and descriptions of the, the generations and genealogies of those that God blessed with life. It gives them names, specific names. tells us, reveals that, all the way to Noah, from Adam to Noah. And then before the flood and after the flood, same thing. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? Reproduce abundantly. Fill the earth. Okay? It's, in Genesis 9, he says the same thing, specific to Noah and his sons. But in principle, this applies to all mankind thereafter. So generally speaking, this is God's blessing for us, that we be fruitful and multiply. However, as I've mentioned in the past, that doesn't mean that every single Christian person is called to marriage and or called to have children. Okay, in God's sovereign grace and wisdom, some are not, some are not, but the broad principle remains. Okay, generally, God ordained that human life be propagated for his purposes. And what we see here is, is a blessing in the form of a command. It's like, may you be fruitful and fill the earth, and it's for God's purposes. So why did God give this creation mandate? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it, take good care of it, where it's it's so that all creation would reflect God's glory and goodness. We human beings are his image bearers, unlike anything else, and we are to image forth what God is like with our lives. And we're to produce all that would reflect who God is. Okay, that's the point. That's the point. That's what it is to glorify God, to put on display his glorious attributes and character. And this is done through our lives. It's done through producing godly families who worship the creator and not worshiping the creation. Okay, people who know God and love God and fear God and live for God and worship God. Hey, that's a very significant purpose, and it's clear. It's, it's very, very important to get that straight in our minds and our hearts today. And what a privilege. We need to see it as a privilege and a wonder that we get to take part in such a great thing. So, the second major point. We've got to move on here. God made humans male and female. Verse 27, male and female, he created them. We need to talk pronouns here a little bit. It's incredible that we need to do that. But in today's upside-down world, where the spirit of the age is deceived and deluded, sadly, even about fundamental, basic realities about gender, we've got to spend a little time on this issue because pronouns are all the rage today. Hey, what do you identify as, right? He, him, she, her, they, them. This does not appear to be just some passing trend or, or fad. Okay? At government levels, at level of corporate policy, um, universities, colleges, institutions, teaching, training, our education system, and now it's starting as early as elementary school. Okay? Everyone is being bombarded with transgender ideology, indoctrination. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight, especially with social media. 
So we need to talk about this some. And the first thing I want to point out, look at verse 27. Look at verse 27. Okay? The first time we see in, in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, God describes his own pronouns. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I don't know if you caught that when I read the scripture before, but God's pronouns, quote-unquote, according to this verse, are he and his. Okay, now, we know that God does not have a physical body, okay? although Jesus did and does. But Jesus himself said in John chapter 4, what? God is what? Spirit, right? And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But technically, God does not have a gender. But throughout Scripture, so that we can understand who God is and uh, to help us understand who God is, God has revealed himself as male. God is he. God is never she in the Scripture. God is never it in the Scripture. The triune God is described in all the Scripture from Genesis through Revelation with masculine pronouns. God is our heavenly father and not our heavenly mother. And there's actually a cult out there that I've run into on college campuses as I'm trying to evangelize. Mother of God cult. It actually has its origins in Korea. And they teach that God is, is female. And there's other cultic things like that. Hundreds of times in the Bible, heavenly father, including by Jesus Christ himself. Speaking of Jesus, he came to earth as a what? As a man, not a woman. He's the son of God, not the daughter of God. Jesus is not called the bride of the church. The church is the bride. Jesus is the bride's groom. And even the Holy Spirit is called by Jesus, he, which speaks of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Never in the Bible do you read the Holy Spirit is it. No, he's described as he. John 14, verses 16 to 17, I was going to read it, but I'll just give it to you. John 14, 16 and 17. Also John 16, 7 and 8. John 16, 12 through 15. Repeatedly, Jesus says he, the Holy Spirit. And so that's one thing. But what about us? What about us? Well, verse 27, male and female, he created them. Only two genders. The scripture makes it clear that from the beginning of time, which is what we've been going through here in Genesis 1 through 11, right? From the beginning of humanity, from day six of creation, there are only two sexes, male and female. Every human being born since God first created Adam and Eve have either been male or female, one or the other. And just... Bear with me as far as the point zero 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 one eight people who are intersex, which the fall has, you know, uh, has its uh, results of, of many things being broken and distorted and everything. Um, but from birth, and even before birth, okay, gender reveal parties and announcements happen before the baby's born. Right? They're still in mama's tummy. Right? Um, it's clear that God made people to be either male or female. So young folks and older folks, don't be confused. There's male or female, there's boys or girls, there's men or women. What is a woman? An adult, female, human being? XX chromosomes with all the biological parts of a female. Only a woman can give birth. XY chromosomes means male with all the male biological parts. So I want to talk a little bit about gender confusion here, gender dysphoria, as it's called, transgenderism. Hey, listen, first, it's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Sin has distorted the image of God. Hey, we're going to get to Genesis chapter 3, right, where it talks about the fall of man. And it's distorted that image in many different ways. Hey, people who are, are trans, the T in the LGBTQ+, plus. As in, for example, men who identify as women and vice versa, they're struggling or they're refusing or they're rejecting 
to identify themselves as God has designed them. Okay? And by the way, the Q there, queer, can mean identifying yourself as any number of things. Okay? A middle-aged man identifying himself as a six-year-old girl. Or a grown human man as a, a female wolf. Okay? I mean, this is, this, is, this is real. So listen, all of us are broken people. We're sinners by nature and by choice, according to the Bible. Human depravity manifests itself in various ways within each of us, all of us. So with that understood, transgenderism, gender confusion, dysphoria, is a mental issue. Okay? I, I, I thought they had re, re, removed gender dysphoria or um, transgenderism from the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is American Psychiatry Association, right? It's their manual, and it's a list of all, all of the mental disorders. But they moved it from a, um, the, the sexual category to a, a mind category, okay? But nonetheless, these dear people are not perceiving reality accurately, or, or they're not accepting reality. They're somehow convinced that they've been born the wrong gender or with the wrong body. Hey, someone has rightly asked this. Why is it that transgenders always want to change their body to match their mind and not just change their mind to match their body? Hey, the truth is that being transgender is against God's clear design. No matter how people feel or how strongly they think about it or no matter how right it seems to them, if we human beings were just made up of our feelings and our instincts and our inclinations, that goes for all of us. Okay? That would just make us like the animals. right? No distinction from animals. But Genesis 1, as we've been learning, says we are made in the image of God. And so we can choose our behavior despite our feelings. But the world and the activists are preaching. Okay, you don't have a choice. You were born this way. You were born this way. And so they push for rights and advocate for normalizing transgender behaviors and push for allowing even young children to decide what gender they are. And this is kind of the tragedy um, of it, the greater tragedy, encouraging young kids to pursue sex change operations and surgeries and puberty-blocking drugs, all of which will damage their physical and, and mental and emotional well-being in the future. And um, I told you about a book that I read a while back, uh, just a, a month or so ago, just preparing for all of this, a book by a, a woman named Laura Perry. She wrote a book called From Transgendered to Transformed. And she spent almost 10 years of her life um, as transitioning into a man and with, with the, the surgeries and everything. And so... She points this out. She's been saved. She's actually married now to a man, and uh, she's witnessing and evangelizing and reaching out to, to those who are um, stuck in, in that, in that um, life. But she points out this, quote, transitioning, quote-unquote, to the opposite sex is a misnomer, a fictional term that was coined to describe the process one may undergo to appear to be the opposite sex. But if you were to do a DNA test... Caitlyn Jenner is still Bruce Jenner. He is still a man and always will be. So just, you know, whether it's Bruce Jenner or the, the actress Elliot Page, who is now transgendered and looks a lot like a man, um, she's still Ellen Page. She's still a woman. She always will be. If someone were to dig up her bones 300 years from now, they would discover a female human being. And so um, Laura Perry here continues by saying, quote, cross-sex hormones and surgeries can alter one's appearance, but they cannot change what is biologically true. It is a lie from hell, from Satan, from the fallen world, that a man can become a woman and vice versa. Changing the outside appearance, no matter how drastically or convincingly, can never change what is stamped so deep on the inside that which is woven into the very fabric of one's DNA, end quote. And so there's been many testimonies, many stories now 
um, although they, they seem to be kind of covered or concealed or hidden, but we, they try to use the power of social media. Testimonies uh, from another former transgender named Perry Desmond in his autobiography, um, and this was after a sex change to a woman. He discovered, like many others now, quote, dresses, wearing dresses only covered my masculinity. Makeup only masked it. Silicone only reshaped it. Surgery only mutilated it. Underneath, in every cell of my body, the truth was recorded 10 million times in every gene. I was a man, end quote. So scientists have discovered thousands and thousands of differences between men and women. One recently noted, if you change two or three things, you still have all those thousands to go. So as a pastor, theologian named Everett Piper helpfully brings out, he says humans are not defined by their desires. It's about our behavior. It's about our being. The pervasive message of Scripture is that we are the image of God and therefore morally culpable beings. As God's image bearers, we are moral agents. We are not animals. We can and do rise above our appetites and inclinations. We are not defined by them, end quote. And once again, whether it's LGBT folks who are struggling with this or those of us who are heterosexual and we have those things to deal with as far as lust and temptation and everything or any other sinful inclination. As Christians, we have hope because we're not defined by them anymore. We're defined by who we are in Christ, saved by the gospel to live for God. And so um, application-wise here, and I I try to shepherd my family. This comes up every once in a while and just our our youth here at the church. Um, According to studies, there are approximately 1 in 90,000 people who are truly struggling and confused with, with their gender, a gender dysphoria. Uh, one in 90,000, I, I suspect that that number will increase as it keeps being pushed and promoted as acceptable and normal in society. But there's those folks who are genuinely struggling, okay? and um, we kind of have to make sure we're not lumping those people in with the, the activists who are incredibly angry and hostile and you know, just um, mean and just full of hatred and uh, malice and violence and just all of those things um, against anyone who, who merely disagrees with their perspective. Okay, someone called it the transgender gender bender agenda, right? So, so the, the activist folks versus the one in 90,000 who are actually struggling, um, listen, they, they all need compassion. They all need the love of Christ. They all need the truth, okay? I mean, just, I had a friend in, in college who was a fellow piano player, great piano player gal, who, who struggled with anorexia. And so she's degrading in health. She's, she's like 70 pounds, where she should be over 100 pounds. And she comes up to me and, and says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm too fat. I, I got to stop stop eating. I'm, I got to eat a lot less. So, do, do I just that inaccurate picture of 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 what's happening of of reality? Do if I love her, am I going to tell her? Yeah, you're right. You know what? You need to. You better diet some more. You know, you better stop eating. You you do you do look a little. You know, <laughs> that would be hate, not love. That would be lies, not truth. And so what they all need to hear is that God has given them and all of us a purpose in life. It's a high and glorious purpose because it's connected with our creator who made us in his image. We're made for a relationship with the God of the entire universe, our creator. We are made in his image that we might reflect his glory. And they need to hear that God is not hateful. He's not spiteful as He's often accused of being. Rather, he's good, he's holy, he's just, he's loving, he's filled with everlasting, unconditional, unfailing loving kindness. 
Hey, trans people have these gender dysphoric feelings because of man's rebellion against God. Sin, Genesis 3, everyone's born with it, has caused all good things that God made to become fallen and broken and twisted. Okay, so again, if the activists are saying, or anybody's saying, we're born this way, you know what Jesus says, right? You must be born again. So instead of allowing self or Satan or the world to tell them who they are, they need to let God tell them. That's what they need to hear. Only God can define them because he is the one who created them in his image. He's the one who gives life. Pastor Bill kindly read Psalm 139, the first section of Psalm 139, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows he was directly and personally and intimately involved in making every single human being. He doesn't make mistakes. Sin is the thing that causes fallenness and brokenness and mishaps. But God is the healer. So God is incredibly merciful, okay? Because making ourselves in our own image ultimately leads to death and what Jesus would call eternal torment and condemnation in hell forever. But how incredibly merciful is God? He's not willing for any to perish, but rather that they would turn to him in faith and live. This is God's loving solution, folks. Repent and return to the God of truth and grace and love and glory. He calls everyone, every single person, to die to self and die to sin. We are to walk and live in the new life that he offers in his son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only solution. He is the only solution. Christ is the answer. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise, you also consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Revelation 18.5, he invites, commands, Come out of her, come out of the world, the sinful, wicked, evil world, my peoples. So that is, that is what we need to be sharing in the love of Christ, in the grace and truth of Christ. So quickly, other issues to touch on. Um, everyone is made in God's image, equally made in God's image, and so deserving of dignity. So whether it's the racism issue, which is ethnic pride, okay, arrogance uh, against others based on their ethnicity or the color of their skin, okay, that's sin, needs to be repented of. Whether it's the abortion issue, okay, man is made in God's image, so whether you're in the womb or out the womb, unborn or born, okay, life is sacred. God made and created life. So it's sin, whether it's the men and the women issue and wrong perspectives and beliefs and convictions about, about sexuality and, and chauvinism and seeing others as inferior, misogyny, whatever it is, that sin needs to be repented of and put on Christ, put on truth. And we need to understand that just in all that, male and female created them. God created us equal. We're all men and women in God's image, and yet he designed us to have different roles in life. And so we're going to leave it there for now. I don't know if we'll get back to it at some point, but God made humans male and female. That's, that's the bottom line. So we need to share that truth with compassion and care and love for those who need it. And so the two minor points, the shorter, a lot shorter points, is, is next, okay? Verse 29 and 30. Simply this. Plants and trees were made to produce food for humans. Right? Does that sound simple enough? Plants and trees were made by God to produce food for humans and animals, actually, Verses 29 and 30. Notice verse 29. Then God said, Behold, so I guess we need to pay attention to this, right? I have given you every plant yielding seed, every tree fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. Okay, he's still talking to the man and woman, Adam and Eve, okay, mankind. Plants and vegetation and fruit that God previously, previously made on day three is food for human beings. Okay, originally, man was vegetarian. And the next part tells us that all animals were herbivores. To every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Okay, that's the way God designed it in the beginning. 
And some of us are aware that man's diet changed when? After the flood, right? Genesis 9, verse 3, the flood is Genesis 6 through 9. Genesis 9, verse 3, which is after the flood is over, God says to Noah and his sons, Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant before. And some of us are quite happy about that, right? But um, let me just give you a quick application, which is eat your veggies. Well, it's more like this. Okay, that's kind of, should eat our veggies, but it's more like this. Take care of the body and health that God has given you. Okay, be a good steward of your physical body, okay, including your food choices, right? Balance, moderation, self-control. And these are not just moral things. These are not just, you know, I'm going to live 100 years on this earth kind of thing. This is a biblical, biblical application. Okay? Um, we are made in God's image. He, he has given us food. He has given us everything we need. He loves us. He provides for us. We pray before our meals, right? And it's to give thanks to God. And we want to apply by, by taking care okay, of the blessings he's given to us. So, last point, God's creation was very good, verse 31. God's creation was very good. God saw all that he made, he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is at the end of day six. God looks and sees everything that he made, right? From days, starting in day one, all the way till now, including the crown of his creation, human beings, us, his masterpieces made in his own image, Okay, he says, behold, look, listen, attention. He saw it, and it was very good. Right? Not just good. Which, if God observes and declares something to be good, um, it's according to his standard of goodness, not ours. It's much higher. And it seems like an understatement, right? God makes something in this miraculous series of events and days. And he says it was good, Right? I mean, elementary school, homework, report cards, A was outstanding and B was good, right? C was average, D was below average, F was right? But, but uh, good, if we got to be, no, good in Genesis 1 is good according to God's holy, righteous standard, according to his goodness. His creation reflects that goodness, which is perfect. And he says, very good. Somehow it's beyond even that that good. And so there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. All right? That leads to the summary statement, which is a bridge verse, and we'll get to it next week. Just uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. Okay, so the creation of the entire universe was finished after those six regular, yet stupendously miraculous 24-hour days. And Exodus 20, verse 11, it confirms that, right? In six days, God created the earth, and the seventh, he rested. Exodus 31, 17, same thing, confirmation. Okay, cannot, Moses could not have meant that this is, you know, eons of, of long ages each day. And so um, that brings us to our concluding thoughts here in our application, Right? The big idea, once again, knowing that we are made as God's image bearers should fill us with a sense of wonder and purpose and privilege before our Creator. And I think it's good for us to reflect on that. Reflect on our likeness to God. Isn't it amazing to realize that when the Creator of the entire cosmos wanted to create something in His image, okay, something more like Himself, then all the rest of creation, he made us. Right? We kind of brought this out last week, but I want to just cap the point here. And um, I agree with Wayne Grudem. He says that realizing that should give us a profound sense of dignity and significance as we reflect on the excellence of all the rest of God's creation, hey, the starry universe, the abundant earth, the world of plants and animals, and the angelic kingdom, all of these are remarkable and utterly magnificent, but we human beings are more like our creator than any of those things. So as we've studied that, at least scratched the surface on some of this, and 
uh, our series so far in Genesis 1, we see that we, human beings, you and I, are the culmination of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. And so, listen, just uh, application-wise, being that every single person on the entire planet are made in the image of God, okay, um, and this means whether they're saved or unsaved, believer or unbeliever, no matter how much the image of God is marred or twisted or distorted or perverted in them by sin or sickness or weakness or age or disability, and they're all made in God's image. It goes for babies out of the womb, babies in the womb. So how are we to treat others? Well, it means that every person of every ethnicity, every race, should be treated with dignity and respect. Every tribe, nation, color on God's green earth, a brown, black, white, yellow, red, all made in his image. So, again, racism towards any person or group is sinful. A brown to black, black to white, white to yellow, yellow to red, and vice versa or any other combination that you can think of. It also means that elderly people, those who are seriously ill, the mentally retarded, the mentally ill, the physically handicapped, all deserve full protection and honor and dignity as people made in God's image. And we need to value life, every single life, from birth to death. If we ever lose sight of that, okay, this basic fundamental truth that we are made in the image of God, we're the only image bearers of God in the entire planet. If we devalue that, we're going to depreciate the value of human life. And we'll, we'll be like the evolutionists, right? The atheists, who see us as just a higher form of the animals. And so we begin to mistreat other people as such. And that's, that's where a lot of where racism came up, through Darwin's theory about the lower human beings evolved from apes. And that mistreatment usually begins towards the weakest among us. Okay, may we, as Faith Bible Church, as Christians, take time to reflect on being God's image bearers and applying those truths in our hearts and in real life. Okay, That's the message for today. Thank God that we can know who we are in Christ, through Christ, as God's image bearers. And may we be filled with that sense of wonder and purpose and privilege. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us, once again, your clear word. And we, we seek to proclaim it faithfully, God. And I know that there's things that we're missing. But um, I pray, Lord, that the, the word that was preached today comes from you, that your voice would speak to everyone's hearts, and that we would truly apply these things to our lives in practical ways, uh, which starts always starts on the inside, God, and then grows into um, how we practice it on the outside. Help us to live more and more for Christ and reflect your glory and grace and goodness in this world. For you are worthy in Christ's name. Amen.